morning and welcome. What a blessing and what a joy it is to gather together on the Lord's Day, that we might worship the Lord aright. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord, asking for His blessing in a moment of silent prayer and then uh, concluding by praying together. Let's pray. Lord, each one who has gathered this day, you have drawn together. You are the one whose voice we need to hear, whose comfort we crave, whose direction we need. We pray that you would be at work in each heart, in each mind, that we would be drawn close to you, and grant that all that we do this day might be unto your honor and glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us to worship with these words from Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before Him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out prisoners to prosperity but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. He is the one who gives us everything we need for life. He is the one who gives us everything we need for eternal life. So congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing praise together to the Lord from number 122 in your blue Psalter hymnal. 122, we'll sing the first four stanzas.
from the moment of our conception. Because of the sin of Adam, our first father, and because of the corruption that dwells within us, we're separated from God. And that's a problem, to put it mildly. It's a problem especially because not only is our life empty and without purpose apart from God, but there's nothing that we are able to do to reconcile ourselves to Him. Even our very best deeds are as filthy rags, says Isaiah. And so we need the help of another. We need a mediator who will come between us and God to prepare the way before us, to create peace for us. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God sent the mediator whom we need. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So not only did he stand between us and God, but he provided the ransom, he paid the price, he overcame the debt that caused us to be guilty before God. What a blessing. And what a privilege to know Him. Let us, in response to that glorious reminder of the good news, confess that our hope and our help are in the Lord our God, in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Savior, in the work of the Holy Spirit who draws us to Him. As we sing together, number 218, this is a rendering of Psalm 108, We'll sing all the stanzas of 218 as our confession of faith in the Lord. Christ the mediator. We're not only reconciled to God, but we're given the promise of an entirely new life, an entirely new being. Because God, who draws us to His Son, also remains within us to transform us. And part of the way He does that is through His law. 
speaking to us as to Israel long ago. God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, these commands are not meant to be a ladder by which we climb up into the presence and the favor of God. Only Christ can reconcile us. But as those reconciled, as those freed from our slavery to sin, this is the instruction of how we put off the image of Adam in sin and we take up the image of Christ in holiness. And what a privilege it is that we can do that revealing the character of Christ. We need God's help for that, and so we're going to pray for that. We have a couple of announcements um, beforehand. Um, Reminder to pray for Bruce Smith, uh, who remains at Faith Hospice at Trillium Woods. Uh, Please bless or pray for the Father to comfort and, and encourage him. And also Linda. Um, Linda continues to suffer from some digestive issues and has been experiencing significant weariness, um, especially with the time spent at, um, at the hospice and then keeping up with housework afterward. Um, so pray for Bruce and Linda. Um, also Dan Van Enns. Dan is healing from his recent surgery to remove um, nasal polyps, and that's been a blessing. Um, However, recent tests have shown that his cancer has continued to grow. Um, So they have taken him off the chemo that he was on, and other options are being considered. So pray for uh, just wisdom moving forward and uh, and the comfort that Dan and Kathy need. Um, And then also Keith and Lori Osterhaven. Keith has been uh, continuing to deal with uh, the effects of uh, Parkinson's, or of of, Parkinson's, dementia and some other issues with a lot of dizziness and headaches and tinnitus, um, really been a struggle. And um, yeah, just pray that, that God would provide the, the patience and the comfort that Keith and Lori uh, need and for their family to continue 
being able to support them. Um, and then we have one other matter. It's a, an announcement and a, a call for praise. Uh, this is from the consistory. Brothers and sisters, some time ago, we shared with you our deep concern for a member of the body of Christ who had wandered from the Christian way and was refusing to repent. At that time, we informed you that this member of the church was living in rebellion against the Lord and therefore had been suspended from participation in the sacraments, demonstrating the separation from Christ which sin had brought. We ask you to pray. We ask you to plead with God to lead this errant lamb back to the shepherd of souls. And this morning we would like to thank you for your prayers. This member for whom you have been praying has expressed repentance and has demonstrated great humility and trust in the Lord. We are convinced of the sincerity of those expressions. And therefore we have restored this member to full communion with the body of Christ with gratitude to God for having drawn back his lamb into the fold. May God be honored as we show him our thanks. And may the one who has been restored be strengthened through the love and the continued prayers of God's people. Beloved, let us pray together. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we rejoice. We rejoice in your gospel which is the only way that any one of us can enter into your presence. For we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have deserved your wrath. And yet through faith in Christ, you have paid our debt. You have opened the path back to you. You have not only given us access into your presence, but you have assured us that we are your beloved sons and daughters in Christ. And Father, we praise you for it. We thank you especially this day for the work of restoration that you have provided in one of your saints who for a time turned away, but through the work of your spirit and your word has come back. Father, we pray that you would continue to strengthen and build up this child of yours. And we pray, Father, that you would use that restoration to remind each one of us that no matter what we've done, no matter how we have stumbled or fallen, you are eager to receive us If only we would turn to Christ and seek forgiveness, confessing our sins. Lord, we pray that you would lead each one of us down that path of faith and repentance. Enable us to hold each other accountable, lifting each other up in prayer, encouraging one another with both the law that shows us the path of life, the the path of discipleship, And also the gospel that assures us that our life is secured through Christ and Him alone. Father, we thank You for that relationship with You that You've given us. Because it makes the difficulties and the trials of this life so much easier to deal with. 
We think of our brothers and sisters who are dealing with such pain and struggle of the flesh. We think of Bruce and Linda as Bruce is in hospice, as his cancer has advanced so substantially, and as Linda herself is experiencing great fatigue and weakness. Lord, were we trusting in you for this life alone, it would be hard to be joyful. And yet in the knowledge that this life is but the beginning, that Bruce and Linda, trusting in you, have the assurance of eternal life. Well, Lord, we can rejoice at your provision day by day in the knowledge that it's all preparing them and us for a future unending in your glory. Likewise, for for Dan, as he continues to see the, the cancer numbers rising, Lord, we thank you that you're able to provide him with comfort and with joy, and for Kathy as well. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide wisdom and guidance and strength for them. And likewise for Lori and Keith. We know that they long to be at worship among us and that it grieves them when they cannot be here. But Lord, we know that you are with them even when they cannot be among us. And we pray that you would strengthen and encourage them through their family, through the saints, through your word and your spirit who is ever present with them. And Lord, we bring before you others from our congregation. You know the needs far better than we do. Those who are dealing with cancer, those who are wrestling with depression, those who are brought low by grief, those who are burdened by sins that they struggle against. Lord, we pray that you would provide for each one according to their needs. And that you would use their brothers and sisters in the Lord to provide encouragement, to work reconciliation, to offer to offer the strengthening and the blessing that we need day by day. Use us as instruments of mercy and of ministry in one another's lives that young and old might be drawn close to you, that none might grieve overly much, feeling as though they were alone, feeling as though they had no hope. Lord, we know that many of our children are involved this week in fair, and there's a lot of highs and lows in that. There's a lot of uh, work and preparation and presentation, Lord, grant that they might recognize that you're the one who has provided these opportunities and teach them to rely on you for their strength and their guidance and their wisdom and their outcome. Lord, grant that our children might learn even in these uh, small things to rest entirely in you and to give you the glory to show you their joy at the blessings you provide and not just in fair but in their chores around the house in their times of play with friends and family 
uh, as they prepare in another month for, for school. Lord, grant that your people, young and old, might recognize that each day and its chores and its challenges and its delights are from your hand and are all meant to mold us and shape us after the image of Jesus, your Son. Lord, help us to see that. Give us eyes to see the opportunities we have for giving you thanks and for confessing that you are the source of all our hope. Lord, we pray that you would equip your church, not just here at Grace, but in every place where your people gather, that you would equip us to testify to what you are doing and what you have done, to tell our neighbors where hope is found, to live in a way that demonstrates the love and the confidence of Christ. Lord, your church has for far too long been silent in this land. Open our lips. Cause our lives to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us the courage to tell others where our life and our joy are found. And so, Lord, cause your people, as small as we sometimes seem, as powerless as we feel ourselves to be, cause your church to be a powerful voice of truth, and a cause for our neighbors to turn unto you. Father, we pray now that you would be with us as we hear your word, as we proclaim your praises. Grant that we might be convicted by the word, but also filled with hope and with joy. And Lord, we pray that in all of this, you would receive all the glory and honor, for you so richly deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Beloved, as we um, prepare to look to God's Word, let's stand and sing once more. We're going to sing a rendering of Psalm 140 from number 291. Uh, This is a psalm that prays for deliverance. Deliverance from evil, deliverance from uh, hardship and pain and trials. We live in a world that is fallen. Now, our text is going to uh, talk about a, a particular time in Israel's history when they were surrounded by immense, open evil. But we are no less surrounded by evil. And only the Lord can deliver us, even as He alone delivered them. So let us stand and sing Psalm 140, selection 291, all three stanzas.
I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapters 9 and 10. Our last text ended with verse 12 of chapter 9. We're going to look, starting there at, at verse 13, and then continuing to verse 20 of chapter 10. This is plagues um, 7 and 8, plagues 7 and 8 in, uh, in the plagues that God sent against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in all the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, 
For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long? Will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians." as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if I let you and your little if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go the men among you and serve the Lord, for this is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the field, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go. Amen. Congregation beloved of God, as we progress through the plagues which God sent upon Egypt, we see God's power shown in ways that increasingly demand that his enemies bow to him as they see His judgment in ways that leave us, 3,500 years later, standing in slack-jawed amazement. See, by means of these plagues, God was emphasizing the cost of rebellion in a way that no one would ever be able to forget. Now, the two plagues before us this morning are related. They both bring destruction which comes from the sky. They both bring 
the demolition of Egypt's crops, they reveal Egypt's sin in ways that force Pharaoh, at least in some manner, to recognize and confess his sin. And they combine to leave Egypt absolutely ruined and plunged into a famine. But why? Whenever God rains down such disaster upon a people, we must ask, why? What is the message He wants us to see? What is the lesson He wants us to learn? And how can we avoid the same fate as they have suffered? Well, God is warning us against their sin, which ultimately is a twofold sin. It is a sin, first of all, of entrusting themselves to false gods. They're trusting in alleged gods which are not the true and only God of the Bible. And secondly, they are refusing to submit and serve, submit to and serve Him. It's a, really one sin with two sides. Refusing to serve the true God, serving instead false gods which are not. God is warning us against that sin, urging us to recognize that sin... Because while the specific expressions of his wrath might vary from people to people and age to age, at the end we know all men will stand before the triune God, the one true God. And everyone who has served false gods, everyone who has refused to serve the true God, they will answer to him. And they will face a wrath which makes these two devastating plagues seem as nothing in comparison. The Lord is displaying His judgment as a warning by devouring His enemy's land. That's what we see in these two plagues. The Lord displays His judgment by devouring the enemy's land. And the first aspect of that, which we see in, in the plague of hail, is how he destroys the fruit, their fruits of trusting in false gods. Notice at the start of our text, Moses is told to meet Pharaoh in the morning, as in the past. And as in the past, he reminds Pharaoh of the calling that lays upon him to recognize, to acknowledge the true and living God, the one whom Israel serves, and to allow them to go and worship Him. And then he warns Pharaoh of his pride. His sin of pride. Pharaoh has steadfastly refused to humble himself and obey God. Instead, he exalts himself over God and His people. And so, Moses warns him, God is about to humble this proud king by means of hail. God is going to break down not just the plants of the field, but the pride of Pharaoh. However, the main point of the warning that Moses gives here concerns the overall purpose of his plague. Verse 16, For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That is the ultimate purpose of this plague. See, God wants to humble Pharaoh, but not just for Pharaoh's sake. He wants 
all of Egypt to see and all the nations around them to recognize who God is, how powerful He is, and what the cost is of refusing to humble oneself before Him. Folks, that's the purpose of all the hardship, all the suffering, all the struggle that God sends in this broken world. These plagues that we've been studying in Egypt, the later exile of Israel sent in response to their sin, the wars that men fight, the illnesses that bring them low, the so-called natural disasters like earthquakes and floods and tornadoes. God sends and God uses all of it to make men see that He is the one who rules over the world. He has the power to determine who will stand and who will fall, who will live and who will die. And so it is to this God alone that we owe all our allegiance, all our fear, all our faith. In Egypt at this time, He chose to use hail to demonstrate His sovereignty. Why hail? Well, understand, hail is not unheard of in Egypt, but it is exceptionally rare. In fact, any precipitation is rather rare. The wettest part of Egypt today gets a grand total of eight inches of rain per year. Per year. And while hail is not utterly unheard of, the last two times it hailed in Egypt, both of which we would consider to be rather mild hailstorms. They were in 2010 and 2021, and I know that because it made worldwide news. It's rare. And that's for what we would consider to be such a mild hailstorm that it wouldn't even really register as a matter of concern. Given the rarity of precipitation, Egypt relied on the waters of the Nile and the false god which it personified. They relied on their false gods for the watering of Egypt. They relied on their false gods for the protection of Egypt. And that's a grave offense to God, who's the one who truly sends all that our crops need, all that our families need, all that our nations need. And so by Moses, God promised to destroy the fruits of trusting these false gods. But he didn't do it without a measure of mercy. Notice that. These folks were hardened in their sin. They had been for many years. And as these plagues came, many of them hardened themselves even more. And yet, nonetheless, verse 19, God warns them of what's going to happen. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls upon them. Evidently, Egypt still had some livestock that had survived God's earlier plagues. And of course they had their servants out working in the fields. So Moses warns, bring them in. He's giving Pharaoh every opportunity to avoid the cost of his rebellion. And, and of course many of Pharaoh's servants refused. They followed the lead of their king in hardening themselves against God. They forced their servants to continue going out to work. They allowed their livestock to graze. It's worth noting, this isn't the main point, but it's worth noting that it was their sin which cost their servants their lives. Our sins, young people hear this, our sins have consequences that go beyond us. 
If your parents sin, that will have a consequence that falls on you in many, time, in many cases. If our president sins, rebels against God, that's going to have a consequence that affects the whole nation. Likewise for our governor and the state. Likewise for an employer and his employees. When these Egyptians who heard God's warning through Moses refused to heed that warning, they weren't the only ones to suffer. Their servants, their livestock, their children, their families suffered along with them. But notice that some of Pharaoh's servants did listen. Verse 20 says, they feared the word of the Lord. And so they brought in their servants and their livestock. Now, was this true faith in God? Probably not. The way it's expressed, they feared the word of the Lord, not the Lord himself. That says it's probably something less than true faith. But it shows that they were starting to believe. They were starting to grasp that when God's servant spoke, you'd better listen. At the very least, they recognize that this God is real and He is truly powerful. Folks, listen, we're seeing here some cracks in the wall of Egypt's defenses. In times of crisis, God's servants have opportunity to point others toward God. Sometimes they listen. Oftentimes they won't. But even when they won't, our testimony about the power of God, our warning, calling them to seek the shelter of Christ... That's going to have an effect. Either it will soften them toward the Lord or it will harden them in their rebellion. And either way, God will be glorified because they have been warned just as Egypt had before them. And as they heed that warning, they will be blessed. Well, Pharaoh didn't turn to the Lord. And so, God sent the hail. And we can't even imagine. I submit to you, we can't even imagine the hail that God sent upon that land. He doesn't tell us how large it was. But He tells us that every plant of the field was beaten down. Every tree of the field was broken. All the livestock, all the servants who were out of shelter were destroyed. Absolutely stunning. Amazingly, mercifully, God spared the wheat and the emmer. Perhaps they had not yet poked up from the ground or only the tips had come out from the soil. One By one manner or another, God spared them. And yet even so great was the cost of those who entrusted themselves only to the false gods of Egypt. And so finally, Pharaoh is at least somewhat humbled. He calls for Moses and Aaron. And he says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with God, for there has been enough of his thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now, that's a start. He admits that he sinned, at least somewhat. He confesses that he and his people are guilty before God, which means he acknowledges that this is the true God, or a true God. But it falls short of true repentance. We see that less in what he says than in how he says it. Notice Pharaoh commands Moses to pray for him. He expresses the judgment that God has sent enough of his plagues. He implies that he alone has the final say on whether Egypt or whether Israel will stay or go. 
Pharaoh's starting to give in. He's starting to humble himself, but he still thinks he's in control. He still thinks he has some say in what's going to happen. You see, Pharaoh's chief false god is the one he sees in the mirror. That's the hardest false god for people to let go of. And he still hasn't. Yet even so, Moses responds by interceding, by praying to God. But notice well, this is a a point I for many years overlooked. Notice well how he does it. Remember when Pharaoh calls him, it's still storming. The rain's pouring, the thunder is, is rumbling. Lightning is flashing through the storm and the hail is falling. But verse 33, Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased. He went out into the storm to pray for the storm to end. What a demonstration of confidence in God. That this servant of the Lord would go out into the midst of that which terrified and humbled Egypt to pray for an end to that judgment. And God answers. God provides the relief that is sought. You know, God uses this plague to show us what's coming. Revelation 16 talks about a coming judgment, which may initially symbolically speak of judgment that would come upon unbelieving Israel, but certainly also speaks of the ultimate end times judgment, the judgment of the last day. And in that judgment, Revelation 16 says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as has never been in all the earth. There's a great storm on that day, in other words. And then verse 21 says, And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. In other words, there will be just such judgment on all those who refuse to humble themselves before the Lord. But notice what they don't do. They don't humble themselves. They don't repent. They don't seek God's favor. They curse God because of the punishment that justly falls upon them. There will be judgment for all who remain proudly rebellious against the Lord. The only escape, there was no hail in Goshen. There was no destruction upon the land where Israel lived. The only one who walked through that storm without suffering the consequence of God's wrath, was the one who was trusting in the Lord and seeking His favor, and that was Moses. It's the only escape we have from the judgment of God that is to come. 
Only if we count ourselves among the people of God. Only if we seek His favor, we seek His help, we seek His deliverance by looking to Christ Jesus. Only then can we walk through the midst of the judgment and be unscathed. Only then can we find that we have not lost everything, that we have not been utterly destroyed because we are resting in the one who was destroyed for us. Only in Christ is there deliverance. Pharaoh, however, is not yet broken. He still refuses to fully submit to God. And therefore Moses again is sent to address the king. And again, verse 2, God reveals the reason for this judgment that's coming. That you may tell, he says, notice this, he's talking to Moses. That you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. That you may know that I am the Lord. You see, these plagues, these judgments against Egypt, they're not only for the sake of those who are rebelling against the Lord. They're not only intended to humble and to warn those who stand in rebellion. They're also meant to teach powerful lessons to God's people throughout the generations to come. And there are some amazing lessons that are being taught there. Lessons about God's power to judge those who serve false God. Lessons about the wrath of God that that they are able to escape by God's mercy. Lessons about the greatness of God's love in allowing them to escape. Therefore, God's people must watch and learn and teach what they see in these plagues. Beloved, there is a great lesson in that for us because he's not just speaking to Moses here. We too are called to teach our children about what God has done both in his judgment against the unrighteous, against the idolater, and in his forgiveness, his preservation, his help, his salvation upon those who believe. We need to teach them, as we are now, about God's wrath against Egypt and his mercy toward Israel. We need to teach them about God's mercy to rebellious Israel during the the reign of the judges. We need to teach them about the lessons of God's wrath and God's mercy that we see in the ebb and the flow of the age of the kings, that we see in the exile and also in the return, that we see in the age of Jesus' ministry and in the church's apostolic age. But not only then. Folks, we need to have eyes to see God's work in our In our life, the life of the church. It's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we need to teach church history. We need to talk to them about how even in the darkened, the spiritually darkened Middle Ages, when God's word was withheld from so many, when superstition took over so many of the lands that had been claimed for Christ, how God preserved for himself a remnant and caused some in that remnant to be passionate about knowing and teaching God's word and how God brought about restoration through the reformers and how God preserves us even today against the the tide of liberalism and the tide of humanism and the tide of secularism and socialism. How God is preserving for himself not just a remnant, but a growing gathering of the church that knows and loves and is passionate about the truth. That's God's work. And as we see the emptiness and the ugliness 
of the caricature of the church that we find in the false church that has fallen away to liberalism and humanism. We need to tell them about the spiritual significance of that, that they might be warned and that they might fall gratefully before the Lord on their knees, trusting in Him and in Him alone. This eighth plague was one of those events meant to teach the children about God as God displayed the consequence of rejecting Him. Notice the rebuke that Moses brings to Pharaoh in verse 3. Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh's sin is not merely that he serves false gods. He is condemned because he refuses to obey, refuses to worship, refuses to heed the true God. So now Moses and Aaron warn him of the next consequence of their sin, the coming of something they knew too well, the coming of locusts. Now this was a threat that Egypt understood. Their climate was favorable for locusts. They had experienced them far too many times in their view. And so when Moses threatens that locusts are coming, they know exactly what he's talking about. It's hard for us to grasp. I don't know that Michigan has ever experienced a plague of locusts. But when the locusts, especially in the ancient Near East and in the Middle East today, when they swarm a region, they devastate it. They don't just eat the leaves of the plants, they eat the stem and the stalk and the fruit itself. When they attack the trees, they defoliate them, and if the bark is tender, they leave them stripped and bare and dying. There is very little vegetative material that they don't utterly destroy. And they come in mass. A plague of locusts that invaded in 1889 was estimated to cover 2,000 square miles with millions of locusts per square mile. So we can understand the concern expressed by Pharaoh's advisors. They know already that Yahweh is powerful. None of them by this point could doubt that. Already their land lay in ruins because of the plagues God had sent. Their fish had died. Their land had been defiled by gnats and flies and frogs. Most of their livestock had died by sickness. The rest had been struck down by hail along with many of their servants. Their own lives had been made miserable. Their barley and their flax were destroyed. The only thing they had left for the coming year's food was wheat and emmer, which was just starting to poke out of the ground. So the advisors rebuke Pharaoh. Let them go. Send them away. Do you not understand that the land is already ruined? Now folks, understand. This is unheard of. Pharaoh is regarded as the personification of their chief god, Osiris. You don't rebuke the nation's chief god, but they did. And astoundingly, he listened. He calls Moses and says, go, serve the Lord your God. But then he asks them, which ones are to go? Again, he shows he's not there yet. He still thinks he has a measure of control. He doesn't really 
want to let all of them go because if all of them go, they might not come back and he doesn't want to give up his slave labor. So he says, which ones are going? And Moses says, yes. Our young and our old, our men and our women, all of us, along with all our livestock, we're all going to worship the Lord because we are all committed to loving and serving and honoring the Lord with all that we are and all that we have. And Pharaoh says, absolutely not. Only your men. That's what you've asked. It's not what they asked, but it's what he revised it to be. Understand, if Moses had compromised at this point, the men of Israel very likely could have gone and worshipped the Lord. They could have had a measure for a time of freedom, of refreshment. But what they would have missed out on. Their wives, their children still left behind in the land of misery. Their future still entwined with that of the unbelieving and faithless. Oftentimes, Satan seeks to lull us by calling us to compromise. Sure, sure, go, go worship the Lord Sunday morning. But you know, the rest of the day should be yours. Sure, sure, go, go gather with God's people. But, but shouldn't you do what makes you feel good? I mean, forget this, you know, do only what the Bible says. Shouldn't it be entertaining and enjoyable for you? I know that you have to, you know, submit to God's word in your personal life. But really in your business, I mean, you've got to compete with all the world. You've got to do what works out there. And, you know, government, government is certainly no place for the Bible, is certainly no place for religion. You leave that at home. Constantly. Satan seeks to incrementally claim the parts of our lives, just as Pharaoh did. And if we would be God's faithful servants, if we would be truly serving and honoring the Lord, then we have to do what Pharaoh did and say, absolutely not. We will serve him wholeheartedly and completely with all that we have, in all that we do, with all of our families, in all of life. We will sanctify not an hour and a half on the Lord's Day, but the whole of the Lord's Day. We will apply God's Word not to our personal lives, but to all of our lives. We will serve Him. We will worship Him. We will honor Him 24-7 as much as the Lord enables us to do. Pharaoh hates that answer because Satan hates that answer. And look at his <laughs> ironic response. He said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. We might render that the Lord must be with you if I ever let all of you go. It's meant to be a mock a taunt, 
There is no way you're getting out of here with all of you and all of your livestock unless the Lord your God is that real and actually does it. But what he doesn't get yet is that he is real, that he is the only true God, and that he's going to do exactly that. Well, in answer to Pharaoh's mocking words, God commands Moses, bring the locusts. And so Moses obeys, and according to verse 13, God brings the locusts on an east wind. That's substantial. Normally, locusts invade Egypt from the south. Because east is what? The sea. In fact, that's how God's later going to get rid of the locusts. He's going to drive them to the, west, or to the east with a west wind. He's going to dump them in the sea, and they won't be able to cross that whole sea. They will plummet and drown. But God miraculously brings them across the sea, causes them to invade the land. And the land is utterly covered, utterly annihilated. There is no vegetative blessing left in that land except, once more, in the land of Goshen. In the place that is inhabited by Israel. God wants everyone to see. He wants especially His people to see. There is no respite, there is no relief, there is no comfort, there is no hope, there is no life for those who refuse to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. It finally starts to sink in to Pharaoh. He calls Moses and Aaron back and says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. He recognizes, if only too late, that God has poured out death upon their land. And he does the absolutely unthinkable. Again, they regarded him as the personification of their chief God. Their God does not sin, but he acknowledges openly before Moses and Aaron, I have sinned. I have done wrong, and I need you to forgive me. That is huge. An unprecedented statement. And there's a lesson there for us. Now we know that Moses or that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart again. We know that. Moses knows that. But this is a lesson for us. Young people, children, you're going to run into people throughout your life that are hardened against the Lord. They mock him, they take his name in vain. They mock you and mistreat you simply because you dare to serve Him. You need to know that the day is coming when they will confess Him. When they will confess their rebellion and their wickedness against Him. When they will acknowledge the righteousness of His judgment. Not by faith, but in desperation. Some will do it in this life and praise the Lord for that. They will acknowledge Him, they will fall before Him on their knees in true and living faith, and they will escape the ultimate judgment of God. But for those who face that ultimate judgment, they will know and they will, have, they will see no point in denying, this came from the Lord because of my rebellion. But so hardened in their sin will they be by that point that they will not seek mercy, they will not seek forgiveness, nor will it be possible 
we need to recognize that's the cost of rebellion. That's the outcome for those who stand against God. But brothers and sisters, we need to know very well the other lesson too. Goshen, Israel, escaped. Deuteronomy 32. God says through Moses to his people, See now that I, even I, am He. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. As we heard in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 68, our God is the God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. He alone delivers from death, provides life, gives peace with Himself, between himself and sinful men. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. And he did it for us who trust him, for us who humble ourselves before him, for us who seek his mercy. So young people, this is the lesson of the plague of the locusts. This is the lesson of that death into which God plunged Egypt of old. And it's the lesson of every other plague and hardship and disaster that we see in this world. And that lesson is this. There is wrath, unrelenting, justly sent for everyone who maintains rebellion against the Lord. But there is deliverance. There is life. There is hope. There is utter escape from justice. And it is found in Christ and in Him alone. If you would serve Christ, if you would have that comfort, it's all or nothing. You can't say, I love Him on Sunday and I hate Him on Monday. You can't serve Him in worship Sunday morning and then serve the world Sunday afternoon. It's all or nothing. But if you confess Christ, if you rest in Him, then you have everything you need now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need what you alone can provide. And we thank you, we praise you for giving us that knowledge, that assurance, demonstrating it so powerfully in the destruction that was poured out on Egypt in the hail and in the locusts, that through the destruction they chose we might understand the destruction from which you are sparing us. Lord, fill our hearts with faith. Fill our very being with gratitude and cause us to devote our all unto you that through us you might be praised and that in us your comfort might be known. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. In response, let us stand and sing from our Trinity Psalter hymnal, number 475, Who Trusts in God, a Strong Abode, number 475.
Let us pray. Father, as we bring now our worship of tithes and offerings, we pray that you would receive them as a sign of our thanksgiving and our trust. You are the one who has given us every morsel of bread, every stitch of clothing. In you we trust for everything we need moving forward. May you be glorified through your people and through their gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Our offering song this morning is number 57. Ye righteous in the Lord rejoice. We'll sing stanzas 1 and 2, 4, 5, and 6.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.